0: The following message is from Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at EmanuelCommunity.org. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Ah, some of you know what to say in response to that. That's good. Um, <clears throat> my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at ICC and if you're here for the first time visiting or maybe a family member or a friend of someone here at ICC, we really welcome you here to this Easter service. Uh, in a little bit we're going to be having some baptisms of some of our youth in our church and uh, I think that's really always the highlight of this service. But before we do we want to turn to the Word and uh, before we get into some Bible passages though, I thought I'd start off with uh, a movie that's been making quite a bit of buzz. These days, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but have you watched this movie uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? How many of you have actually seen it? I'm kind of curious. Okay. I find that it's very polarizing. Some of you have really loved it a lot or they absolutely hated it and didn't understand what it was about. It's actually the most awarded movie in all time and it won the Oscars for the best picture this year. And I personally wasn't prepared for how deeply moved I was going to be by certain scenes and even specific lines in this movie. I was really struck by how well it captured this cultural moment that we're in at this time. There's just so many layers to this movie um, that I hesitated to even use it as a sermon illustration. In all honesty, just to set up the premise ideally would take about 10 minutes, okay? Um, But I'm just gonna focus on a couple major themes to set up the Bible verses that I want to look at for the message today. Evelyn Wang Uh, whose uh, life is filled with regret and frustration. And it's really on the verge of falling apart. She runs a laundromat with her husband, Waymond, and is being audited by the IRS. And Waymond, in fact, plans to file for divorce. And her daughter, Joy, uh, just can't seem to live up to Evelyn's expectations and is so frustrated herself that she is about to walk away from the family as well. And while they are there being uh, meeting with the IRS agent in the IRS office, um, something really strange happens. Her husband Waymond reveals that he is actually a different version of her husband, uh, teleported from a parallel universe. And it turns out that every time somebody makes a decision the universe splits in two. An entirely new parallel universe is created based on that decision. And of all of the Evelyns that exist in this multiverse in these parallel universes, Wayman tells her that you have been chosen to basically save the universe or save the multiverse really from a villain named Jobu Tupaki, okay? Let's just stay with me, all right? And what it turns out is that Jobu Tupaki is the evil version of her own daughter Joy. And in that universe uh, where Jobu Tupaki comes from, uh, this other version of Evelyn has pushed Joy so hard into exploring these multiple universes that what ends up happening is that Joy. In this moment ends up seeing everything in all of the parallel universes simultaneously at the same time and it says she goes crazy. And she loses her mind and she becomes this villain and the conclusion of seeing everything that happens in the universe in a single moment. Is basically to lead her daughter into concluding that nothing matters in life. life is pointless. And out of this kind of nihilistic despair. Jobu Tobaki's mission now is to destroy the entire multiverse. And it, just watch the movie, but she does throw. So by creating this everything bagel, <laughs> she, she destroys the world, the universe, within everything bagel. But you got to watch the movie to understand that, all right? Um, As silly as that might sound, I I actually found something very interesting about this character, Jobu Tubaki, because I feel like it actually stood as a very powerful symbol for what our youth are going through today. Um, Whether it comes from the high pressures that so many youth feel from parents, who are basically investing everything into their kids, but also expecting everything of them to succeed academically and in sports, and to get into the best schools, and and, and I, I think that's represented in this daughter joy. Not only that, but the constant bombardment from apps like TikTok and all these other social media platforms that basically are just inundating our children with so much content that I think there is this undeniable numbing effect that is happening in our kids. I mean, honestly, I see it in my own kids. Just this is it, right? This is literally what they're doing constantly, scrolling through one TikTok after another. I think the truth is also they are being exposed to so much mature content that in all honesty, they're not really ready for, and it's affecting them as well. I mean, when I think about my youth, we didn't have much media. When we talk about media, it was TV and radio, and all of that was very highly censored, wasn't it? But it's actually shocking what our young people have access to through their media. Uh, So much unfiltered stuff. From seeing raw footage of school shootings, to kids being bullied in school, to all kinds of horrible stuff that truthfully, it probably would be better if they weren't watching. And so, is it really shocking that we see a young generation now recording record levels of anxiety and depression, many of them actually wondering, is there really any meaning to life? Is there really any point to it all? Well, in embracing her mission to stop Jobu Tubaki, Evelyn must go on a painful journey of confronting her own demons. And that she she does so by traveling through these parallel universes and encountering different versions of herself. And sadly, and kind of comically, she learns that of all of the different Evelyn's that exist in the universe or in the multiverse, she has been chosen because she's the least accomplished of them all. And so the logic is, therefore you have the most untapped potential in your life to succeed, that's why she's chosen. And of all of the Evelyn's in the multiverse, she is the one that can most identify with her daughter's despair and emptiness. Because her life is filled with regrets of what could have been. Second guessing all the time the choices that she made in life. Because when she was younger, she chose to marry Waymond against her father's wishes. And now she feels like she's stuck with a loser who has no ambitions in life. Who is basically holding her back from experiencing her best life. And in one particular universe, Evelyn sees how glamorous and successful her life could have been. Because in that universe, Waymond continually pursues her, but she rejects him to the very end and refuses to marry him. And after returning to her own world, she heartlessly tells Waymond, I saw my life without you. I wish you could have seen it. It was beautiful. <laughs> you see, Evelyn thinks that the problems in her life are with everybody else. And she is blind to the contribution she is making to her own failed life. She resents her father who never fully accepted her, especially when she chose the Mary Wayman. But she is actually crushing the spirit of her own daughter, unable to accept her for who she is, and expressing a spirit of constant disapproval to her. In fact, in one scene, angered by her mother's lack of acceptance, Joy, her daughter, rushes to leave the house, and Evelyn chases after her. And there's this briefest moment of vulnerability in Evelyn's eyes when she yells out to her daughter, Joy, wait, please. I have something to say to you. And in that moment, it feels like there's going to be a reconciliation. But rather than an apology, what Evelyn tells Joy is, you have to try and eat healthier. You are getting fat. (laughs) So she says to her daughter, to which her daughter bursts in tears and drives away. Evelyn, in other words, wants to connect so desperately with her daughter. She wants to make a connection, but she just doesn't know how. And I wonder how many of us in this room can identify with some of these struggles that are illustrated in this movie. The great message of Easter is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and was resurrected three days later in order to give us eternal life. And most of us think that eternal life is the afterlife, about knowing where you're gonna go when you die, Basically believing that we will live forever, even after we die. And that is undeniably a part of eternal life. John eleven twenty five 25 to 26, Jesus said to our I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so life after this life, is definitely a part of eternal life. But I would argue this is not the main way that the Bible talks about eternal life. In the Bible, the focus of eternal life isn't so much in terms of the length of that life as it is about the quality of the life that we are experiencing, even here in this life. John chapter 10, verse 10 summarizes it in the words of Jesus, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, he is not talking about quantity here. He's talking about quality. He's talking about eternal life as abundant life. It is a life of peace and rest and security because we we know we are living under the care of God. In John 10, Jesus compares eternal life with a flock of sheep who are secure in their pen, protected by their loving shepherd. John chapter 17, 1 through 3, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those, who have given, who you, those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." In other words, Jesus equates eternal life with knowing God, with having a relationship with him, and receiving the benefits of that relationship. This is the same perspective as the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says, "'See, I set before you today "'life and prosperity, death and destruction.'" For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. In other words, what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy is to choose life is to choose God, a life with God, loving him and being loved by him, and receiving all of the benefits of his leadership over us. And I think this is why we don't have to obsess over past decisions or become paralyzed by second-guessing whether we've always made the right choices. Because the truth is you can't always make the right choices. You will, you will screw things up in your life. But I think the message of the Bible is that's okay. Because it's not all up to us to make sure that our life will go well or our children will do well. It also speaks to the fact that life isn't meaningless because we have been created by God out of his love for us. And so there is a purpose for us that we are to discover and pursue. In John chapter 10, Jesus contrasts himself with these thieves who want to use and exploit the sheep or even hired hands who abandon the sheep and protect themselves as soon as trouble comes. It's clear that he is making a reference to this passage in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 34 where God confronts the leaders of Israel for the way that they are not caring for the sheep but abusing them and using them. In Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 4 through 6 it says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick speaking to the leaders or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over over all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. I think the sad truth is that some of the most painful scars that we will bear in a broken world are the scars inflicted by the very ones who are entrusted to care for us and yet maybe let us down and failed us, neglected us, or maybe even abused us. And God says, in a broken world, this is the experience of life, sometimes being under bad leadership. But what God also says is that I am not like your earthly leaders. I am faithful to you to the very end. In Ezekiel chapter 34, he goes on, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. God would demonstrate that ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes this confession about himself. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's God's promise to us. His love is so great that he would give us his one and only son to die for our sins, that whoever would believe in him would not have to face death, but could know eternal life. Looking at that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, we can see how easy it is to blame our wounds on others. But as Evelyn's life showed, she had her own way of messing up her life uh, without the help of anybody else. And as she starts on this journey of discovery, she's actually learning all of the wrong lessons, imagining how much better her life could have been if she had made different choices. And she couldn't see the beauty of her daughter that was right in front of her or the strength and the love of her husband that she thought was a loser. And it was absolutely vital to keeping that family together. All she could see is the way that they didn't meet her expectations. And she was paralyzed by these mistakes that she was making in her life, always second-guessing her choices. And I wonder how many of us live in that same struggle day to day. But this is where the message of eternal life is that we can experience the true change that we desperately need to experience that abundant life that we desperately want. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, the way the Bible defines eternal life is giving us new hearts that are capable of living the kind of life that we've always wanted to live and the kind of life that God wants for us. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26-27 to 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, we can have a perfect vision of what the good life is. But the problem is none of us have the ability to live that life by our own strength. But what the promise of eternal life, abundant life, is that God will give us a new heart that is capable of living that good life that God longs for us. I'm just going to wrap up here, but, um, you know, it looks like a hot tub we've set up here, right? Um, and we, there's a baptistry right here, but because of this lovely display, we aren't able to use it today. And so we had to set up our portable baptistry. And we set it up, we filled up with water at the beginning of the week. We didn't realize how frigidly cold groundwater is in Chicago area in the spring. And so it was like 45 degrees, this water. And uh, it was going to be torture to anyone getting baptized today. And so I spent pretty much the entire day yesterday boiling pots of water and putting it in there so that we won't freeze to death when we're in there. And thank you to Tim Cho who came alongside and helped me. Um, It was a great help to me. But as I was doing that, I was just thinking, This is so, I'm a pastor. (laughs) This is what I was thinking was, we Christians are so strange, you know? Like, why do we do this? In front of hundreds of people, I'm going to get in there with a t-shirt and shorts, and we're going to dunk people in this water, and that's going to be something important to us. Why is it that we do this act of baptism? It's a commandment, first of all, to us in Scripture, but what it's saying is something really profound. By dunking people into this water, becomes a symbol to us to say that this old life of yours is going away, just like you're going into this water. And when you come out of this water, emerging from it, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Let's pray. And we're going to turn now to uh, this time of baptism. The promise of Scripture is that if you would confess your sins and repent and put your trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that you too could know this eternal life. And I think that's the invitation that God gives to every one of us here on this Easter. I wonder how many of you are living lives paralyzed by choices that you've made. You feel the weight of the world on your shoulders to try to do everything in your power to make your life a success, to bring happiness into your family. But maybe like Evelyn, you discovered how Unobtainable these goals can feel. I wonder for some of you, youth or maybe not just youth, how many of you feel so numbed to everything in life. And even though you are so young, you are wrestling with these feelings like what's the point of it all? What's the point of life? And it can all feel so meaningless. And I think to all of these struggles, God says there is an invitation into an entirely different kind of life a life of security, a life of joy, a life in which the world's weight is not on your shoulders because you understand that you have a shepherd who loves you and who has died for you. And maybe even on this day, you realize that need and you can give your life to him and say, God, I need that. I need your help. I cannot do it on my own. I receive your free gift of salvation because I know that Christ has died for me.